take your Bibles again this week and turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, we've been there for the last several weeks, and it's been one week here in this chapter. We want to speak today about that fullness of grace that came through the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of grace. Before we do, we just want to go to the Lord and word of prayer and follow up if you will with the Bible. Ephesians 1, I would like to read this passage again. This is a rich, rich passage and full of great consolation, hope, and encouragement to God's people. We're going to pick it up at verse 3, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him for the foundation of the world, we should be holy without blame before him. The love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace i'm going to stop the reading right there this morning i want to spend another week here and just and we have been doing a series recently on the gospel, and uh, I thought this passage would be helpful for us to see the blessings of Christ that belong to his people. And we have seen over the Thanksgiving uh, Sundays before and after Thanksgiving the rich blessings that come to us as believers, those who are united to Christ. God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Him. God has grace has united us in Christ, and Christ has provided for us every spiritual blessing that we are in need of. God has not withheld anything from His people. He gives to them everything that they need, and it comes to us through Jesus Christ and our union with Him. So we are richly blessed. There is this fountain that has been opened up to those who are in Christ. Rich blessings. And Ephesians 1 talks about many of the blessings. We look at some of those last week. And love chose us in Christ before the world ever began. He predestined us that we would be adopted and made to be his sons. He redeemed us blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. These are the sum of these blessings that have been heaped upon us in Jesus Christ. We are rich in Christ. And what I wanted to emphasize this week is going to go from Thanksgiving into these seeds gardens, into the Christmas season, is that all of this comes to us by the grace of God. This is something that Paul emphasizes over and again in this chapter. As we think of the blessings that are ours in Christ. 
this is all as a result of unmerited favor and grace. So we see this here in several verses. Paul doesn't want to miss this. Verse 6. All of this to the praise of the glory of his grace. And again, verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Again in verse 12, that we have come to believe in Christ, that we should be to the praise of his glory. In verse 14, the end of the verse, this redemption that we have that is being secured for us and we've been sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption and God's purchased possession, it is all to the praise of His glory. So we want to talk about this gospel of grace. And it is the gospel of grace that comes to us in Jesus Christ. What we find here is God, Paul is unveiling for us that all these rich blessings come to us again by Christ. So the first point this morning is the gospel reveals the glory of God's grace. I love this phrase in verse 6. He has spoken about that he chose us before the world began. He blessed us in Christ, every spiritual blessing. He's adopted us, predestined us to be adopted, to be his sons. Christ has made a redemption for us. And all of this, Paul says, is to the praise of the glory of his grace. The ultimate motive behind everything that God does is to magnify himself, to bring glory to his name. That is the best thing for us, isn't it? That we see God in His glory and who He is. And so the ultimate purpose of the mind and the wisdom of God in all things is to glorify His name. We're reminded in verse 11 here that God is the one who is working all things after the counsel of His own will. And all that He does, all that He purposes, is to bring glory and honor to his name. And uh, Paul says in Romans 11, 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, his ways, passing back um, uh, past winding out. No one has been his teacher. No one has been his counselor. And he says this, For of him, of God, of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases, and all that he has purposed to carry out is for his own glory and honor. And so as we think about history, someone said that history is his story. God is at work in history, carrying out a purpose and carrying out a plan. And so it is his story, and it is for his glory. There is mystery in all of this, but God is a sovereign who is carrying out his purpose and bringing glory to his own name. And 
And so in these verses, Paul is saying here is a revelation to us of these things that God has done. It's a revelation to us of God's glory, his beauty, and his word. So it's showcasing for us the glory of God. When we think about the word glory, glory is a word that is, it is who God is. It's the panorama of all the attributes of God that make him glorious. He is glorious in everything that he is, his being, his attributes. And that is his glory. And also, as we think about that, there is beauty and majesty and splendor in who he is. And often this glory is made manifest. It is revealed. So the psalmist David says this in Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare to us what? The glory of God. His, the firmament shows his handiwork. Wherever you look in the created world, even as a fallen world that it is and under a curse, it is declaring to us, it is shouting to us that there is a creator God who has made this world that it brings glory and honor to him. It is speaking of his majesty, of his glory, of his power. Hey, if you've been to the Creation Museum, and if you've been there, you've seen some furniture that was made by Gene Kearns. It is beautiful furniture. And when you look at that, you've seen, if you've seen some of the work that Gene has done, you, you realize this guy is a craftsman. And it makes you go, wow. It brings you a greater appreciation of him and his gifts and his abilities. And as we think about the creation, it is causing us, it should cause us to say, wow, what a God who has made all of these things and it is declaring to us his glory and his majesty. His glory has also sometimes, sometimes seen in other places in his works. When he brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, there was a display of the glory and the power of God there. And so there it manifests his majestic power and glory as is recorded by Moses in Exodus 15. Often there is the visible manifestations that we read about in the scripture. They're called theosities, when God in some kind of a visible way has made his presence, his immediate presence, to be known by those around him. So when the children of Israel came out of Egypt and they crossed through the Red Sea, and as they go into the wilderness, there is this great cloud, a cloud during the day, a cloud of fire at night, and it was a display and a reminder of who this God is that is with them and in their presence. It's majestic, he is glorious. And then also we think of Isaiah, don't we? Isaiah has this vision in Isaiah 6, and he sees this vision of God the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So there are these manifestations that we see, and it is expressing to us something of the glory, majesty of this God, the Shekinah glory. And that Shekinah glory dwelt in the, in the temple. God met with his people. There in the Holy of Holies was the Shekinah. As we come to Christmas, we come to think about the advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here, here is a great 
display of the glory and of the grace of God as it is seen in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in particular, we are reminded of God's glory in the Christmas story. Now, to think of the advent, Martin Lloyd Jones said this that Paul always bursts forth into praise and thanksgiving, thanksgiving as he contemplates the glory of God in our redemption. This is the most astonishing thing that has ever happened in this world, or will ever happen. The coming of the Son of God into this world from heaven is always in the Bible a theme for praise and glory and thanksgiving. And that's what it ought to evoke in our hearts. Look what God has done. Here we see the great glory of God as we think of Advent, as we think of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the one thing that, that, that he focuses upon here as he says in verse 6, this is also the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, as we think about the attributes of God, we might think of them as a diamond. And if you've ever been to a jeweler and put it on a black uh, piece of cloth and put the diamond there to show you the brilliance of the diamond. No matter what angle you look at the diamond, it is going to shine and it is, it is a beautiful sight. And so it is when we think about the attributes of God. Every attribute of God is worthy of praise and glory and honor. There is no dark aspect of God. Everything is beautiful and glorious about this God. But the thing that Paul wants to focus on here, among those many attributes, is the glory of God and his grace. This is one from Paul that stands out especially here Ephesians 1, as he spoke of all of these things, all of this is to the praise of the glory of his grace. The gospel is a message of grace, the undeserved favor of God. He chose us to be holy and blameless. He predestined us to be adopted, to be made his children. How do you explain this? If you're a believer today, how do you explain this? Because the Bible says we've all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. How did I receive these things if I'm a Christian? How did I get into union with Christ? Well, Paul makes it very clear that we don't answer in the first person. Because I, because I did this or I did that, we answer in the third person. It's because of him. He chose me. He predestined me. He adopted me. Christ made redemption for me. It is God, by God's doing, that we are in Christ Jesus, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. It's all of grace. When we think about grace, grace is a wonderful. Grace speaks about pardon and undeserved favor that is poured out upon us, kindness that is shown to those who have sinned and offended a holy and a righteous God. Instead of deserved punishment, which is what we all deserve, 
be in Christ, you receive grace. Punishment for wrongdoing is something that is merited. But grace is unmerited. You can't merit it. Take, for example, if you are breaking the speed limit and a policeman pulls you over, and you get a ticket, guess what? You merited that. But if another policeman maybe pulls you over, and he just writes out a warning, you get grace, don't you? You're not getting what you deserve. He's, he's been gracious to you. And somebody that gets a ticket can't say, that's not fair. No, I've got what I deserve. Somebody that got simply a warning can't say, well, I deserve that. No, you didn't deserve it. You got grace. You got kindness that was shown to you. And so as we think of the gospel, as we think of salvation that Paul's speaking about here, all of it is rooted in the free grace of Christ in God alone. So we we are recipients of it. We have received grace, fullness of grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is one of the ways in which God's glory is manifested. The glory of His grace has been manifested in the advent and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is put on in display for us, what is showcased at Christmas, is the amazing grace of God to sinners. And so we hear the story. Turn to it. Let's just look at it in Luke chapter two. Here is the story. The message that is coming to these shepherds as they are watching their sheep in the fields that night. Ephesians 2, verse 8. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Imagine this scene. Here is, a, here is the glory of God that fills the heavens. And they're afraid. And I think maybe rightly so. I think that would be our response. We would see something of the glory of God. We might cower, knowing our own sinfulness. But here's the good message that is given by the angel. Do not be afraid. Oh, I bring you good tidings of great joy which shall be to all the people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Here is the grace of God the baby. Here is a Savior who has come into this world. And this announcement and the coming of Jesus is surrounded by this the heavens being filled with the glory of God. And then the angels in verse 14 crying out, Glory to God in the highest on earth, Easter will for men. You see here, there is this great, glorious scene. The Savior has come into the world. He's come to save sinners. And here is a display of manifestation of the glory of God. God is magnified things. His glory is put on display. 
So we have John, as he writes us from his own experience. This Christ that I have heard with my ears, and I've seen with my eyes, and I've looked upon, and my hands have handled, is the word life. This is the Christ that I declare unto you. John in his gospel says, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the Father. Full of grace and truth. There is grace and truth in him. So Paul says, all of these things are displayed to us and bringing praise to the glory of Jesus. Think about the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. We see the glory of God and the grace of God on display. In Jesus' life, his words, his work, a glorious display of God's grace. Jesus ate with tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. People were worthy of such a dinner guest. But he sat down and he ate with them. He spoke graciously to a woman who thought her And we're all familiar with the prodigal son, aren't we? Jesus tells this story of the prodigal son that wasted the inheritance that had been given to him by his father. He's gone far away and lived a profligate life. He's wasted away this inheritance with prostitutes, and he spent all this money. He comes home broke and broken. He doesn't deserve anything, but he comes and finds the father. And he's just asking, Father, if you just make me to be one of your servants, I would be pleased with that. That would be grace for him. But what does he find? He finds amazing grace. Amazing grace. Go and kill a fatted calf. The son of mine has returned. And there is celebration, there is rejoicing. And in Jesus Christ, we see displayed the grace of God. We find it that the thief who is on the cross next to Jesus. Saying to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Hey, you will be. Here's grace. I'm the same. You also see in this passage, the Lord's emphasized from our perspective. God is doing all of these things to the praise and glory of His grace. But from our perspective, in verse 7, He goes on to say, in Him, in Christ, we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Notice this. According to the riches, according to the riches of his grace. If you're a Christian, God has not given you a little dose of grace. Sometimes you go to your pastor and come and hear you that. You say, come on, there's a little more on there. Oh, a little more. That's not the way that God has given you grace. The word that is used here, this word rich, is a good translation, but the word has this idea of fullness, of abundance, plenteous. 
This is how God has graced us. He has been plenteous in grace, overflowing grace. And so, in the incarnation, God's grace comes on display on the stage of history in full view. And this is this full grace, rich grace, comes to sinners. So, as John said, we give all his glory full, full of grace and truth. Out of the fullness of Christ and who he is, we have received grace upon grace upon grace. Look over to chapter 2, Paul again and go on. He can't speak without using superlative. Verse 4. The God who is rich in mercy, he's rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, by grace you have been saved. And he's raised us up together and made us to sit in the happy places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, he might show, notice this, the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What, what is heaven going to be like? But we don't know it, but here is something that is going to be revealed to us more and more how God graced us. But these exceeding riches of his grace to processes. Exceeding riches. And Paul makes it clear again in verse 8 For my grace, by grace you have been saved. Not of yourselves, it's a gift of God and not of works, but it's the end of the You know the grace of God, Paul says. And though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be. Christ in him, living grace, yet richly grace, enriched him. So Advent speaks to us. Glory to God, wonderful truth in the nature of Jesus Christ. And we will be saved. Save his people from their sin. Speaks of redemption, the riches of God that come to us because He Himself bore our sin in His body on the tree. This is the one that we remember today. It is Christ. Paul Langford said, 